Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Give him your attention. You know, there's a, there's a new little baby in our, in our family, on my wife's side of the family, and it's amazing whenever that little baby is in the room, as soon as he comes into the room, everyone's attention goes to him. And everyone just adores him, and everybody wants to hold him, and everybody is just looking at this little baby, and he doesn't really do a whole lot besides make noise and smile occasionally, but but there's something that draws our hearts to him. When we sing, come, let us adore him, it's not, it's not a, a work that we do, it's a response of our heart. It's, it's just saying like, Jesus, we've, we love you. Father, we, we love you. Spirit, we love you, we, we adore you. You have our attention. We have our hearts. So we've come to adore you, God. We've come to give you our attention and our affection. Not just today, not just in this building, not just at this time, but at all times. Jesus, would you be the object of our adoration, the one that that captures our heart, the one that when you're in the room, our attention is on you and our eyes are on you. And Even if it means we have to jostle around other people to get to you, God, whatever we have to do to get to Jesus. Because you're worth it. I pray that our lives would be a life that we would have to give you all the glory, God, that, our, that there would be something that men see in our lives that would be worth glorifying, that we would have to redirect and say, it's not me, it's Jesus. That there would be something in our lives because of your spirit in our lives that, that we would have to give you all the glory for. God, we weren't meant to live an insignificant, meaningless life holding on to the end, but we were meant to be those whose lives would bring you glory. I just pray, God, that the more we adore you, the more our attention is on you, the more our lives are transformed, the more we look like you, the more we would bring glory to you and to your name. We thank you for that. We give you honor. We give you glory for what we see that you're doing in our lives. God, you're not far away. If we want to see you, we can look at the fruit of of our own lives that you're producing in us, God, and we can see you. We can look back on this year and we can see you. We can look ahead into our future and we can see you, but, but today we can look at our lives and we can see you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this amazing, amazing gift that we've been given, this beautiful gospel.
May we never be like those who would be content to play with the wrapping paper in the box and leave the gift. God, I pray that we would never, ever lose the joy of our salvation. That it would never become common. That we would live every day mindful of this amazing gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Whew, Merry Christmas. <laughs> I, uh, I was in the room over there just putting together a few last-minute thoughts that I wanted to share, and I heard Will reading, of course, where I was, where I am planning to read from partially, and I just never, ever, ever come to gather just to gather. We would gather to know you, to grow, to, to, to spur each other on in love and good deeds, to stir each other up. To, to minister to you, Father, to your heart, to, to worship you and to adore you. And, and in so doing, that as our, as our, our focus and our adoration is, is pointed to you, God, that, 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 that in that process we would be changed, that we would become more like the one that we adore, that we would become transformed more and more into the image of your Son, that we would look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday because we're following him and he's making us. So God, I ask that as we, as we speak from your word today, that your spirit would speak to us, that, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive, that, that your word would be a seed found its way into good soil and producing fruit, God, that a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives, that your spirit is producing in us and see that you are good. I thank you for that. I thank you that that's your idea, God. And so we just say yes and amen to your plan, to your idea, to your truth, to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So darkness covers the earth. It says in the beginning was the word. That, that beginning doesn't that when God created the earth, he created the word. In other words, it means that before anything happened, this is before what we would know as the beginning God, the word, Jesus, was. He wasn't created by God now that the world has come into being. He always was. He is eternally God. He always was, and he forever will be. And so it, it, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God are there, and, and, and suddenly they begin to create, and he, God speaks, and this word suddenly becomes what he spoke. And so he says, let there be light, and there's light. There's no longer darkness covering the face of the earth. And he begins to speak, and his word becomes the things that he speaks. Like, there was nothing, and then he speaks into nothing, and suddenly something appears and is there where previously there was nothing. Come on, every one of us knows what that, that's like, because at, every, at one point, every one of our lives, there was nothing there, and then he spoke, and something happened. Why? Because every word of God will not return to him void without accomplishing that which it sets forth to accomplish. So when he spoke into your life, you may have tried to run from it. 
You may have resisted it. You may have tried to ignore it. You may have rebelled against it. You may have despised it. You may have done all of those things or none of those things. I don't know what your story is, but I know this. Even if you thought you were running away from God, you would soon find that as fast as you ran away from him, you were running directly at him. Because he is everywhere. He's the only one that you can run as hard in one direction away from and be running just as hard in the same direction at him. It's crazy we're looking back over our shoulders running from God, not knowing that the whole time we're running directly at him because he's no more behind us than he is in front of us because he's everywhere. And so he speaks and things begin to happen and, and then he comes to this place in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God speaks now, and he says, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. And he says this about, about humanity. He says, And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the ground. You notice he didn't say anything about like the things that trot on the ground or anything. He, no, he specifically said over every crawling thing that crawls on the ground. Remember that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God speaks, and this time, the word becomes flesh. I don't know how long it took. It says he, he reached down, he formed man, but the, but the process of man becoming flesh and standing up and staring into the eyes of God began with a word from God that said, let us make man in our image, whether it was minutes, whether it was hours, whether it was seconds, I don't know. I just know that at some point the word became flesh and a man stood before God. And he walks with God and he talks with God and, and God realizes I've made him in my image and I've made him in my likeness and because he bears my image and because he's like me, there's two things possible. One, he's capable of actually bearing my image and two, he needs to be able to reproduce like I have reproduced. And so he searches for a suitable helpmate and can't find one. Aren't you thankful that none could be found? Because you could have weird-looking children. <laughs> but I think the reason why he had Adam search was for Adam to realize that there's nothing out there. There's no other thing out there. And when you've come to the end of your search for whatever it is you're looking for, you realize there's nothing out there, so it has to be found in him. I don't know what it is that you're searching for, whether it's joy or peace, hope. I don't know what you're searching for, whether it's a mended relationship or whether it's a beginning of a relationship. or I'm not sure, but I know this. Once you've searched everywhere and you've realized that it can't be found out there, you'll come to the understanding that it can only be found in him. And so at the end of the search, 
No suitable helper could be found. And so I would imagine that at some point Adam was like, that's it, Lord, we've, we've looked everywhere. And in that turning to him and saying, we've looked everywhere and couldn't find, God says, okay, now you've come to the place of realizing that there's nothing out there that can complete you. And so he makes Adam sleep, and from within Adam, he draws what was already there from the beginning, because it says male and female, he created them. And so he takes from Adam and makes Eve, and Adam's eyes are opened, and he sees Eve, and now he's capable of reproducing the image of God, and God tasks him with being fruitful and multiplying. You have to understand, this is before sin came, He wasn't just saying, be fruitful and multiply, have a bunch of children, because that way when you die, the human race will go on forever, because at the point they're being told, be fruitful and multiply, sin hasn't entered the world, and with it, death. So while it does mean reproduce yourselves by two coming together, becoming one, what he's really desiring is that they would reproduce the image of God that they bore. In the earth. And so his plan all along was that there would be this union. And out of that union, out of that love, the image of God would be reproduced. And that that image would cover the earth. And then... Another word came. In Genesis 3, verse 5, it says, the serpent is talking to Eve, and it says, for God knows on the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And for the first time, a word enters the earth that isn't from the Father, And it's the lie that's been believed for so long that there is something outside of him that you need to do to really be complete. That what God has given you and what God has asked of you and given you the ability to do is not enough. There is something that you have to do so that you can really become who you were supposed to be. I'm glad that nobody believes that lie anymore because you can imagine how hard people could work to try to become something by believing that what God has done and given and graced isn't enough. And so... Adam and Eve believe the lie, eat the fruit, and all are born now into the curse of sin. But within the response of God to sin, another word is spoke. He said to the enemy, and I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So now another word has been spoke by God 
in the garden. And there's a promise that there's one coming, not the seed of a man, but the seed of a woman. And that he would crush the head of the serpent. And that the very act that the serpent thinks is harming the descendant, the bruising of his heel would lead to the crushing of the head. So now turn in your Bibles real quickly to Matthew chapter 1. This is in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the word, once again, is going to become flesh. And yes, it's to fulfill what has been spoke through the prophets, but it's also to fulfill what God said in the garden. Because God said in the garden that there was one coming who would be the seed of a woman. And at the time, I'm sure the enemy was probably confused, thinking how can something be the seed of a woman when the woman doesn't have the seed? It would require the man. And that's why the curse of sin was passed down, through the sins of the father were passed down from generation to generation. It's why Jesus couldn't be born of a natural man because he had to be born not under the curse of sin, but actually the way that Adam was born originally in the garden before the curse of sin came so that he could actually live a spotless, sinless life and be the acceptable sacrifice. If he's born of a man, then the sin of the father is transferred into the generation below him. But because he's born of the father, the sin of the father is the sin that is transferred to him. And as for God, he is perfect. And so now this this word that God has spoken in the garden is once again, the word is becoming flesh. Jesus, who is the word, is becoming flesh. And the word of the Father, speaking that Jesus would come, actually happens, and Jesus becomes flesh. And once again, God walks and talks with man. That's why John would write, and we beheld his glory. We saw him. We saw his glory. Remember when Moses asked, God, let me see your glory. And God said, Moses, you can't see me because if you see me, you'll die. But then Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This was one of the first, I remember years ago at Easter, the revelation of that came to me. I'm like, wait a minute, Scripture can't contradict itself. God said, if any man sees me, he dies. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in like a second, it hit me 
Of course that's true. Because when we really do see Jesus for who he is, something has to die. So that something can be born again. And so Jesus comes and is Emmanuel, God with us. And the word becomes flesh. And you realize that it was never God's desire for the word to become flesh just once. But that when we become born again, it is his desire that the word would once again become flesh. That we wouldn't just know about him, that we would know him. That we could actually show the world what he looks like because he's transforming us and his word is actually becoming flesh as we become transformed into the image of Christ. You realize that's what marriage was meant to do from the beginning? Just a side note real quick. Is that two people were to come together and that the result of that union would produce the image of God. It's still the desire of God for our marriages to be that when the two come together, what is produced bears the image of God. Not just our children. The fruit of our marriage, the fruit of our lives would bear the image of God. That through the love that we have for each other, the way that we honor, the way that we treat each other, the way that we defer one to another, the way that we lay our lives down for each other. See, that's what we're called to do when we're married to someone. It's not I do for you so that you do for me. It's I lay my life down for you, not so that you lay your life down for me. I lay my life down for you because I love you. And if you never laid your life down for me, I wouldn't stand back and count the cost and say it wasn't worth it because love doesn't consider a wrong suffered. It doesn't count whether or not it's getting what it wants because what it wants is to love, not to receive. So there's no chance in a, in a godly marriage for someone to say, well, I'm not getting what I deserve because the goal of being in union with another human in the covenant called marriage, is not to get. Will you get? Absolutely. When you have two people that are in it for the other, marriage is amazing. But you won't wake up every morning wondering if you should because of whether or not they will. You wake up in the morning and you have something to give, so you give. Without ever considering if what you're going to get in return is worth it. Marriage is not a transactional relationship. Save evaluating the cost for the grocery store. See, it's okay to go to a grocery store and look at something and determine, is that worth what I'm going to pay for it? when we're talking about apples or eggs, and it's okay to say, I can get it for less over here, when we're talking about pancake mix or bacon 
But when we're talking about marriage, there should never be an evaluation of is what I'm getting for what I'm giving worth it or could I get it for cheaper somewhere else? Why? Because I'm not waking up in the morning thinking about what I'm going to get today. I wake up in the morning aware of all that I've been given and looking for somewhere to give it. So Christ lives this perfect, spotless life, tempted in every way common to man. That's how you know that it's not a sin for you to be tempted because Jesus was perfect and without sin, yet tempted in every way that's common to man. The fiery dart of the enemy doesn't make you a sinner. It doesn't make you dirty. It doesn't make you any of those things. It makes you like Jesus. It means that he sees something in your life that he's afraid of. And so he's trying to get you to step out of what you were created for and step into what you were never meant for because he's terrified of what happens if you become every word that God spoke over your life before he formed you in your mother's womb. See, he has the same fear of you that he had of Jesus. Why? Because it's no longer you that lives, but Christ that lives in you. Come on, he should be as terrified of you as he was of Jesus. Why? Because it's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. So he sees Jesus born, and for the first time, he knows who it is that he's after. See, he's probably been wondering ever since in the garden, when he hears there's one coming that's going to crush his head, he's thinking, not if I can get to him first. Why? Because he heard God tell Adam that he had dominion over everything on the earth, and yet he was able to subvert Adam's dominion by getting him to think that there was something outside of what God said that he needed to do to become more like the one who created him. And so he thinks, if I could do that then, I'm sure I can do it once he comes. And now he's just looking for him. He's, he's, he's crawling around looking for him. And now when the angels sing and, and they, start, they declare peace on earth, goodwill towards men on whom God's favors rest, for unto you this day a child is given, unto you this, a child is born, unto you this day a son is given, they know he's Satan for the first time because he's not all-knowing. He doesn't know the future. It's why he's obsessed with your past because he has nothing to do with your future. The only way he can find a way, place in your future is by getting his way into today by talking about yesterday. But now he doesn't have to be able to know the future to know that Jesus is the Christ because now he's heard heaven proclaim. And so... Once again, he raises up evil in the heart of a man to try to kill all the children that are of the age that Jesus would be. Why? He's after Jesus because he's terrified of what happens if Jesus is allowed to continue to live and grow because he knows that there's a promise from God that his head is going to be crushed. And so he thinks, just like he did with Adam, just like he's done with every human that if I can get to this Jesus before he can get to me, he'll take the bait. Because every man has a price. 
Everybody has something that they want. Except Jesus. That's why Jesus could say the ruler of this world comes and he has no part of me. There's, in other words, there's nothing in me that's given him a place. So when he comes, he finds nowhere for him to go. Why? Because I am here to do not my will, but the will of the Father. So Jesus, tempted in every way, tempted with believing what God said about him, tempted with believing that God really would do what he said, tempted with believing that God really would provide, tempted with believing that God really was enough, the same things that you and I are tempted with. And yet, without sin, perfect, spotless, blameless. And then he gives his life on a cross, but he doesn't just give his life on the cross. There's something that happens before then that makes him giving his life on a cross so significant because if he, if he dies just as a perfect man, fully God, fully man, then that doesn't take away my sin, but if he becomes my sin, and he takes it. And then when he's crucified, I'm crucified with him. And when I'm baptized, I'm lowered into death with him. Then I too shall be raised into life. See, that's what's so amazing about Christmas that should be amazing every single day. Is that because he became a man, I could become a son. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God and such we are. But it only happens by actually receiving the gift that was given. You don't have to do anything to earn it. In fact, we would be wise to tell our children that the gifts they're being given aren't because they're naughty or nice. They're because they're our children. Do we want our children to be good? Absolutely. Do we love them even when they're not? Absolutely. So whether you've been naughty, whether you've been nice, doesn't really matter because nobody's been so naughty that they can't be born again and nobody's been so nice that they don't need to be born again so before we move to the next section of our service and we're going to light candles and remind ourselves of the significance of this light coming into the world I just want to ask because I don't know everybody here and I don't know where they're at I'm not asking have you ever prayed a prayer I'm not asking have you ever raised your hand? I'm not asking any of those things. I'm asking this one thing, and that is, have you ever surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus? Have you ever actually received the gift that was given on Christmas when to us a son was given 
to us a child is born. Because if you haven't, then you're probably like those kids on Christmas who are content to play with the wrapping, who are content to play with the shiny bow, who are content to play with, with all the things that, that on the exterior look like they're so important, so amazing, and so fun, but yet have never actually opened the present and received what it is that's inside of it. Because the whole point of life is not about the shiny bows, it's about becoming like the one we were created in the image of by being born again and being made a new creation with the Spirit of God living inside of us. And so if you've never done that, do you guys just do me a favor, everybody, just look down, close your eyes, do whatever it is, because sometimes, honestly, we're more worried about what the people around us would say than what Jesus says when he stands before the Father. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. That's not him threatening. That's him saying, like, I don't want to have to do that, so don't deny me. He said, but if you would confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you read that in the original language, the one that he is so intensely desiring is that he could stand before the Father and confess that he knows you. And so if you've never done that, if you've never repented from your sin and turned from the life that you were living and received the forgiveness and the salvation that was paid for when Jesus shed his blood on a cross, if you've never been born again, a new creation, if you've never actually died to yourself and been resurrected to new life in Christ, listen, it it is a lifelong journey of following Jesus, but it begins with the first step, and the first step is saying, I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven. I need to be born again. I have to repent. I need forgiveness. And just like that, in an instant, the word becomes flesh. And all things pass away, and behold, everything is made new. You're no longer alive for the reason you woke up this morning, because you've got a new king, and his name is Jesus. You don't have to advocate for yourself before the Father. You don't have to stand before him as your own defense. You don't have to stand before him and try to explain how nice you've been. Because you have one who is your advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And his blood takes away the sin. And leaves you as you were meant to be from the beginning. Holy, blameless, upright and beyond reproach in his sight. So if there's anyone in here before we move on to lighting our candles and adoring Jesus that needs to do that today, would you just put your hand up where you are if you're watching online, if you're part of our church family that gathers in the different places that they gather, if you're watching this years from now, and when you hear what I'm saying, you realize I need a Savior. If you need to do that, would you just raise your hand where you are and Yeah. Is there anybody else? You just say, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. Come on, is there anyone else? 
Come on, before we move on, don't, don't let this moment pass. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Nobody's promised tomorrow. If you're hearing this message this morning, it's because you were meant to hear it. It's because God himself, the one who speaks and light comes roaring forth from his mouth, wanted to talk to you and to tell you who you were meant to be, why you were here, why you're created, places life inside of you. So if that's you and you raised your hand, we're just going to pray together. And listen, I'm going to encourage you after the service is over, we're going to have some of our prayer team up front to come up front and to talk to someone from our prayer team. They're going to pray with you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to get you a Bible. They're going to help you get plugged into to biblical community so that you can walk with others who are walking the path that you're walking because it's not good to walk alone, but if two walk together, if one stumbles, the other can pick them up. So if that's you, would you just pray with me? And there's nothing, there's nothing about this prayer that means anything unless it's coming from your heart because it says with the, with the heart a man believes and with his mouth he confesses unto salvation. It means when you open your mouth and you say what you're about to say, it's your heart coming out of your mouth. And God receives that. Would you say, Jesus, I repent. I turn from my sin. Forgive me. Thank you for your blood that washes me clean. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for becoming my sin. That I might become the righteousness of God in you. Wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit. I give you my life. Would you be my Savior? And would you be my Lord? And God, I'm asking right now that wherever they're sitting, that you would come, that your spirit would begin to fill their life, God, that your spirit would come and fill them and be in them and be upon them, that your spirit, God, would begin to, to regenerate and bring new life where there once was dead bones, that, a, that, a, that, that, that once again your word would become flesh and that a new life would begin in them right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we can, we can celebrate that. Come on, if, if all of heaven celebrates when even one comes into the kingdom, if heaven thinks that's worth celebrating, we should probably think that's worth celebrating as well. So, if you have your candles, go ahead and grab them and hold them. Jesus, as we just read earlier, was the light of the world who came into the world. In John 8, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then a little while later, Jesus is talking to Matthew. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. 
this light of the world that came into the world was never meant to be something that would ever be just in one place. That was the old covenant. But God didn't desire to make his tabernacle in a tent built with human hands where he was in a place. He desired to tabernacle with men. And that's how, that's why he became Emmanuel, God with us, so that that one light could become the light of the world as everybody who would be born again would be set on fire by the light of the gospel. In the same way that Jesus said, I am the light, he then looked at these disciples and said, you are the light. And as they light your candle and as we sing this this song, I want you to actually think about the light that you've been given. It was never meant to be contained. It was never meant to be hidden. It was never meant to go out. It was meant to be brought into the darkest places.
that we would take your light that we've been given by the sun into the darkest places. I thank you that that you said that you will receive power to become my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you said that we would take your gospel into the where we live and the surrounding areas and even to the ends of the earth. And so, Father, I pray that we would become once again like little children that were excited every day about the gift that we've been given, looking for somebody to show, for somebody to tell. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, Pray that you guys have an amazing week this week leading up to Christmas. Um, That you have an awesome time.